Well, if you would keep your Bibles or your bulletins open to Psalm 19, and uh, we're going to spend some time there. If you would uh, allow me to pray for us as we jump in. Father, first I want to I want to pray and, and thank you uh, for Michelle and Lifespring, for Betsy and others who uh, serve with them. Um, we thank you for how you uh, stirred Michelle's heart to serve um, children who are in need and how that has expanded uh, to what it is today. And uh, thank you for the impact that you are having on their lives through that ministry. And we ask that you would continue to bless it, uh, pour out your spirit there, provide for them uh, financially and, and also people resources, um, and then protect them, protect their ministry. Um, I pray that uh, those children and their families would know the love of Christ uh, through the ministry that's taking place there. And now, Lord, for our time in your word, we ask that you would come and that you, just as you said, let there be light on the first day of creation, would you say, let there be light in our hearts as you shine the word of God into the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see Jesus and to worship him, and to trust him, and to love him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been thinking about prayer together since February. And uh, this summer, we've been particularly looking at God's prayer book, the Psalms. And today, we come to the conclusion of all of that time thinking specifically about prayer. That doesn't mean we're done praying. Don't stop. Um, but it's fitting that we come to Psalm 19 because um, Psalm 19 brings us back to something that's very important to remember about prayer. Prayer is not just about our speaking. Our speaking is a response to God's speaking. And Psalm 19 shows us that uh, beautifully. Uh, prayer is a response to who God is. And we only know who God is uh, by the way he has spoken to us and revealed himself to us. Uh, Eugene Peterson said this. I thought this was helpful. He said, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything that he speaks to us. There's a difference, he says, between praying to an unknown God whom we hope to discover in our praying and in praying to a known God revealed through Israel and Jesus Christ who speaks our language. What is essential in prayer, he says, is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. So Psalm 19 beautifully shows us how God has spoken first. And it shows us how to respond to what God has said. So before we jump in any further, let's do a little bit of Bible study together. So look at Psalm 19, and I want to highlight a few things for you. Um, just look at verse 1. 
uh, there's in the first six verses, there's a lot of uh, language about speaking. Uh, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Uh, verse 2, uh, speech is being poured out day to day. Knowledge is being revealed night to night. Verse 3, there's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Um, there's this hammering away at speech. Something is speaking. What is speaking? God is speaking through the skies. And then in verse 7 through 11, there are other words that are talking about a different kind of speech, a different kind of word. It's a written word. Uh, verse 7 talks about the law and the testimony. Verse 8, the precepts and the commandment. Uh, verse 9, the rules. Uh, this is talking about the written word of God. And so God not only speaks through the skies, he speaks through the scriptures. And then Psalm 19 switches, and instead of God speaking through the skies and the scriptures, now the sinner speaks in response to God in verses 12 through 14. And then at the end of 14, it points, uh, there's something that points to the promise that one day God would speak through a Savior. And we know that that is his son, as Hebrews 1 says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. That last phrase of verse 14 in, in Psalm 19, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So that's, that's kind of an overview of the whole psalm. God is speaking through the skies. God is speaking through the scriptures. We respond as sinners and we speak to God um, and we look with hope. Uh, to the God who speaks through his Savior. So, let's, uh, let's fly through this psalm together, shall we? <laughs> let's talk about God speaking through the skies first. So first, what, what are the skies telling us? What are the heavens declaring and proclaiming? Well, first, they're just telling us that God is there. It, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're proclaiming his handiwork. And you may think, well, Jimmy, that's kind of, that's obvious. God is there. Sure. Well, it's not so obvious to everyone. And sometimes when you're in your dark moments in difficult places, it's not so obvious to you that God is there. And the heavens can remind us that there is a God. But what about him? Uh, there's a little, there's more to this. What about God? First of all, God is glorious, and then secondly, God is great. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then David uses this illustration of the sun. He says, in the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So the sun is this bridegroom who's camped out in his tent in his chamber, and it's his wedding day, 
And he wakes up and he comes bursting out of his tent and he runs with strength like a strong man, with joy on the course to his bride. It's, it's such a beautiful picture of the joy that God had in creating this sun that lights our world and lights up the heavens. Um, but this, the sun is, is then an illustration of the glory of God that the heavens are declaring. Uh, throughout the whole Old Testament, the glory of God is described as a, devour, a devouring fire and as a brightness. So uh, in Exodus, when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, it says, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And you remember, they were terrified of this glory, this fire on the mountain. And God even told them, told Moses to tell them to stay away, not to even touch the mountain. But it's also described in the Old Testament as brightness. In one of Ezekiel's visions, he said that God's temple was, quote, filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And, and the glory of God would rest on the tabernacle in the wilderness. It would rest on the temple in Jerusalem. And the people could always see the presence of God because it was represented by this bright, devouring fire. And so the, the sun is a great illustration of that um, because it's overwhelming in its fiery brightness. And uh, the, we know that the author of Hebrews described God's glory when he said, for our God is a consuming fire. So creation, the heavens, the skies are speaking, and they're telling us that God is glorious. He's a, a consuming fire. He's huge. He's consuming. He's bright. He's overwhelming. Uh, when Solomon dedicated his temple and the glory of God came down, it says that the brightness of the glory of God filled the temple so that the priests couldn't even go inside. This is the glorious God whom we worship and who speaks to us through his creation. It also, the skies tell us that God is great. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Um, in Psalm 77, Asaph was writing, and his, at one point his heart just exploded with this praise to his great God. He says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. God makes known his might, his greatness, through his works, through his wonders. And then Paul echoes this in Romans 1 when he says, what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So 
the heavens, the skies, are speaking and telling us. God is speaking through them, telling us about his glory and about his greatness. And the beautiful thing about this is that when we pray, we remember we're talking to our creator. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. He could have just created us and sat back and said, have at it. In fact, there's a whole religious philosophy that believes that, deism. But, but no, this God is not only there, he's not silent. He speaks. He, he wants us to know him. And he's spoken his greatness and glory to us, and it is speaking. As Nathan said earlier, God is continually speaking to us 24-7. Did you see the moon last night? Gorgeous. This is my father's world. You know the hymn? This is my father's world. The birds, their carols raise. The morning light, the sun, the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is your father's world. Your father is speaking to you about his greatness and his glory. And so when we pray in response to that speaking, when we speak in response to his speaking, we pray with a holy fear. Now, yes, there is a trembling, there is a, there is a nervousness of, I'm, I'm dealing with the God who created me. He's also the one who could take me out. But if you remember a few sermons back, I said that um, the fear of God, one good way to describe that is it's taking God seriously. The holy fear, it's, it's, it's like when David said in Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens and the works of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, I think, what is man that you would take mine of me? What, why would you even think about me? It's a holy fear. And so we pray back to him with praise. But there's also prayers of humble faith. Uh, it's, it's this trust in God. Not just trembling before him, but it's trusting him. And so our response to God speaking through his creation of his glorious and of his glory and greatness is to pray back to him prayers of praise and thanks. You know that Romans 1, Paul said that one of the core issues that we have as rebellious sinners is that although we knew God in creation, we neither honored him nor gave thanks to him. Although we knew God, was there, and that he was great and glorious. We neither honored him, 
We never said words of praise back to him. And we didn't thank him. We never, we never thanked him. So God speaks through the skies and he, he elicits a response from us. Would you acknowledge that I'm here? Would you acknowledge that I'm great and glorious? And then he speaks through the scriptures. On the front of your bulletin, I put this quote from John Calvin. And I think it, it helps explain something that's, that's very important. He says, All we have to do is contemplate heaven and earth, and we shall see God everywhere. If I could get Dr. Nelson up here, the biologist, to tell you, he could just go on and on and on about God's creation and what it says about God. I could get Professor Morton, the artist, up here, and he could do the same thing. Um, All we have to do is contemplate heaven and earth that we shall see God everywhere. For what is earth, earth, if it isn't a living image, as St. Paul says, in which God is revealed? Although he is invisible in his essence, he is still revealed there that we might worship him. That's what we've just talked about. But, he says, when we turn to the Holy Scripture, we find there an image by means of which God has more particularly revealed himself to us than he does in the sky or in the earth. Neither the sun nor the moon, albeit they give clarity to the world, reveal the majesty of God. <laughs> Let me start over with the sentence. Turning the pages messes it all up. He says, Neither the sun nor the moon, albeit they give clarity to the world, reveal the majesty of God as much as the law, the prophets, and the gospel. And that's where David is going. He's going from the lesser light of God's glory in revealing himself in the heavens to a greater light of God's glory, of revealing himself more specifically in his scriptures. Now, now let's look at uh, verses uh, 7 through 11 real quick. Um, there's several nouns, and there's several adjectives, and there's several verbs. All you English teachers are going to love me for this. Um, listen to the nouns. Law, testimony, precepts, commands, rules. These nouns tell us Answer the question for, for me. What does the Bible say? Well, that first word, law, is really the word Torah. But in the Psalms, it's not used as specifically like the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Um, it's used as the general instruct, instruction of the entire word of God. Now, David goes on to list other words that talk about the commandments, uh, precepts, commands, rules. But what he's describing here is not just the, the Ten Commandments part of the Bible, but the entire story. And so, when we say that God is showing himself in uh, the Bible, in the Scriptures, he's showing himself uh, by telling a story. I love to think of the Bible this way. 3Ds. The Bible is the drama of what God has done through Jesus to save 
his people. But it's also, the Bible is also doctrine. It's teaching. That's what the word doctrine means. And so while the story kind of grabs our hearts and helps us to love the Jesus of the Bible, the doctrine uh, grabs our heads and, and hearts and helps us to learn this Jesus, to learn who he is, to learn the story of God's love for us in Christ. But then the Bible is not just drama, it's not just doctrine, it, it also has directions. It, it tells us how to live, it lays out the path of righteousness. Uh, and so that it tells us not only how to love Jesus and love his story and to learn Jesus and learn his story, but how to live in Jesus and to live in his story. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But This is what this, these scriptures do that the creation can't quite get to. God has to be more specific and reveal himself through this story. Then the adjectives uh, that are used, that David used, help me answer the question, can I trust the Bible? And I think David would say yes, because listen to how he describes it. Perfect, sure, right, pure, true, righteous, desirable. Much to be desired. What he's saying is that this, this revelation of God through the scriptures is clear, it's authoritative, it's necessary, you have to have it. It's sufficient. It's enough. God has given us in this book all that we need to know to live in his story with him. So the Bible is trustworthy. And then the verbs in this section uh, describe what the Bible will do to us if we humbly submit to it. It will revive the soul. It will make wise the simple. It will rejoice the heart. It enlightens the eyes. By it, God's servants are warned. In keeping it, there is great reward. And what's funny is most all of those descriptions of what the Bible will do to us um, if we soak in it are all very positive Wonderful things. Only one of them sounds anything negative. By it, your servant is warned. And yet, it's, it's my contention that most folks don't read the Bible because they don't like the negative part. It's going to tell me something about myself that I don't want to hear. We don't, we don't see the, the richness, the value, the beauty in it. So I want to encourage you, when, when you read God's Word, uh, look, for the, look for the reviving of the soul, making wise, and the rejoicing of your heart, and the enlightening of your eyes, and that by living in His story, there would be great reward. So God speaks in the Scriptures. What does He tell us about Himself? He tells us that He's good. The Bible speaks clearly and powerfully about the goodness of God. We learn God's heart in these pages. We learn his heart. And then it tells us that God is gracious. To think that our creator would write down the story he is telling and then invite us to love that story, 
to learn that story and to live in it with him. That is a gracious God. It's unbelievable. So I wrote down these questions for myself and for you. Do you want more of God's goodness and grace? Do you want to mine the depths of his heart for you? David said that these words, the scriptures, are more to be desired than much fine gold. Do you want to mine the depths of his love for you? Like you're mining for gold? Do you want to taste and see that the Lord is good? Do you want to acquire a taste for grace? Do you want to wean yourself off of the tasty things that you've been feeding on? David says, God's word is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. If you want to mine the depths of God's heart for you, and you want to taste and see how good and gracious he is, then dig into this book. Dig into his story. Uh, one of the Puritans, Tom Watson, Thomas Watson, back in the 1600s, said this, He said, would it not be an encouragement to a subject in a kingdom to hear his prince say to him, you will honor and please me very much if you would go to yonder mine of gold and dig as much gold for yourself as you can carry away. So the prince tells his subject, you're going to make me very happy if you would go to that gold mine over there and dig as much as you can get out and carry away. That'll make me happy. Go. And Watson goes, says, then go to the sacraments. And get as much grace as you can. Dig out as much salvation as you can. And the more happiness you have, God says, the more I shall count myself glorified. Go to the sacrament. No, yes, go to the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word, the reading of God's word. Go to God's word and dig out as much gold as you can get. Squeeze as much honey as you can get out of it. Go to this table as we're going to do in a few minutes and get as much grace as you can. That's what God's word is for. And so then David turns to the sinner who speaks to God. How does he respond? Now, David compares God's word to the son. He doesn't specifically mention the Son in, this, in the section uh, about God's Word, but um, David says something that makes us go back to that first section. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Remember that he said in the earlier verses that nothing is hidden from the Son's heat? He uses that same word hidden here to say that God's Word is like the Son that exposes everything in its light. And so do the Scriptures. And so when the Scriptures expose our hearts in the light of the glory of God, um, there's a response that comes. And both responses to the Son and responses to the Scriptures have something in common. Think with me for a minute. The Son, you've probably heard, the same sun that melts ice hardens clay. The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. 
But also, we, our hearts, our hearts can respond to God's word in those same two ways. When God speaks, your heart can melt or it can get hard. what David describes in these following verses, 12 through 14, he shows us us what it looks like when God's word melts our hearts. He says, who can discern his errors? I can't even see all my sin, God. So declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Look, there's three responses that a melted heart has to the word of God, to God speaking. And I believe, I won't spend time doing it now, but I believe the New Testament bears this out. Here are the three responses that a melted heart has to the word of God. Repent. Believe and obey. And they're all three in these verses. What the melted heart repents, it recognizes that just as nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun, no sin can be hidden from God's word. The melted heart wants to wants God to show it the sins that hide and hurt and hinder it from being what it was made to be. Is that how your heart responds to God's word? God I I want you to show me the hidden sin. I want you to show me the sins that are, that are hindering me from being who you made me to be. It turns from those. It repents. Secondly, it believes. Um, the melted heart takes refuge in the only place of safety for sinners. He says, my rock. The melted heart takes refuge in the only place of salvation for sin- sinners. He says, my Redeemer. And then the melted heart obeys. There's a desire to be what our Creator made us to be, holy, blameless, innocent. It's a desire to offer ourselves, our words, what we are on the outside, and our hearts, what we are on the inside, to offer them as acceptable sacrifices to the God who made us. So, I ask you, as I ask myself, when I hear God speak to me through his word, does it harden my heart or does it melt it? And do I melt into one who repents and who believes that God is my only rock and my redeemer and that longs to obey, to be what he's made me to be? And in that one little word, redeemer, David points to the God who would speak later and who has spoken now in our perspective through a Savior. God has spoken through a Savior so that he can melt the hearts of sinners. And so we read uh, a few minutes ago from Hebrews 1 that in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, that through whom he also created the world. I love how the Bible picks up on all these themes. Listen, the themes of creation and glory 
and God's word, all and redemption, all wrapped up in Psalm 19, are echoed now in Hebrews chapter 1. He has spoken to us by his Son, through whom he also created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Cheesy, but the Son is the Son. Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is still speaking and he's upholding the entire... You Take that home and chew on that for a while. Jesus, the word made flesh, is upholding the entire universe, every molecule, by the word of his power. And he's the one who, after making purification for our sins, has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The creator who speaks became the word made flesh. The glory of God took up residence in the temple, Jesus. The one who upholds the universe with the word of his power became the weak lamb of God to purify us from the sin that his word has exposed. Come to Jesus and hear him speak. If you want to know and see the greatness and glory and goodness and grace of God, the apostles tell us God has spoken that through his son. He's spoken through his son. And I want to ask us all, you know, as we end this kind of look at prayer and prayers. And we begin, actually, in two weeks. We're going to take a break next week. Jim Suddeth is going to be here. But in two weeks, we're going to start a series in an overview of the entire Bible. So we're going to shift from prayer to Bible. Um, We're going to Listen to God speak to us through Jesus. I want to ask you, are you one who goes to the gold mine of the scriptures and digs and digs and mines and gets all the grace you can get, all the grace you can carry? And when you get to those scriptures, do you look for Jesus Because Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, and yet you've missed me. Friends, I want to ask you, are you mining for the gold of the grace of Christ in the gospel? Because that's where God shines brightest. And even at this table, One of the reasons I love that we not only preach the gospel, but we portray the gospel every Sunday is because as people who have five senses, we we not only need to hear, we need to taste and see, touch. 
And Jesus, knowing that, left us this beautiful picture of his greatness and glory and goodness and grace. Father, we come and we thank you for your word, but we thank you that your word speaks of the word, the word made flesh, our Lord Jesus. We ask that you would stir our hearts to desire him more than fine gold, to to desire him more than the sweetness of whatever uh, tickles our taste buds. Help us to desire him and to look for him. And then help us to see him in this table today. And so now we pray and ask that you would set aside these elements of bread and the cup and set them aside from their normal use and let them be for us a sign and a seal of your great love through us, through Christ, by your Spirit, Father. Do that even now as we meet together. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.